You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue in our series, Messy Church. Messy Church. Last uh, week we looked at a message entitled, In It Together. Uh, this idea of the church is not our idea, it's, it's God's idea, but it's a, a messy work and it wouldn't be near as messy if I wasn't in it or if you weren't in it. But the reality, we are in it and together we make up this thing that's called the church. Today we want to take a look at a message that really uh, talks about what is the church? Why do we have this thing? And so the message entitled this week is His Church, His Way, for His Glory. This is foundational for us. We understand we're part of this thing called the church. But what is it? Why do we have it? Why are we here today? What are we doing? And I trust as we look at God's Word today, uh, we'll find the answers to those questions. So trust you've got your Bibles open. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read His Word. And I'm going to start at verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him... Jesus. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that we hold in our hands. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the lessons we're going to learn from it today. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears, that we would listen carefully to what your word says. Father, that you would give us minds that we might be able to understand it. And then, Lord, in our hearts, you'll do the work so that we will passionately live out as followers of Jesus Christ. Father, we meet together as this thing called the church. Your bride, Christ the head. So lead us in your word. Teach us. And, Father, will we leave from here encouraged, challenged, motivated with a desire to serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, today's message is going to be a little bit more topical in that I'm going to teach about the church. And so I'm not going to be in Ephesians 3. I'm going to be all over the book of Ephesians. But there are lots of references for you to write down and think about and look up. Um, So I'm not just going through a text like we normally do, but rather some teaching about the church. And uh, before we do that, though, we need to answer the question, where do people get their ideas about the church other than from the Bible? So we all have preconceived ideas. We all have ideas about what this thing, the church, is. And, And so here's some places where people get their ideas. They get their ideas from past experience. I went to a church. Uh, people come to our church all the time, and, and they say, well, no, I, I came from this church. And, and they had an experience in that church. Uh, tied with that is they came from a church where there were traditions. There were certain things that happened in that church. And our experiences and our traditions, they tend to form what our thoughts are 
Her ideas are about the church. So our past experience and tradition. Culture. Culture is another uh, way that our ideas of the church are, are formed. And you think about culture. Maybe uh, you read the Da Vinci Code and you read that and it gives you some ideas about what the church is. Maybe you uh, watched uh, Seventh Heaven on TV and you got some ideas of what the church was. Or if you're really old, Little House on the Prairie. Or if you're not very old, The Simpsons. And in all of those, you've got some idea of what the church, that's where people get their ideas of what this thing, the church is. And maybe you watch the news and you hear stories about the church and you hear about liberal churches and churches that aren't following the word of God anymore on the one hand. And on the other hand, you have the cultic uh, Christian church that's beyond scripture and people get their ideas about what we're doing here from all kinds of sources. And one of those would be the news. We get our ideas about what the church is or should be by projecting our own personal preferences. I, I want what I want. I want to go to a church that does this and this and this. And I think this is what the church should be. And it's about your own personal projections, your own personal preferences. And other people think about the church by comparing it to other institutions. It's um, going to church is kind of like going to a concert. Or it's like being part of a club or it's going to a store where I'm shopping for the thing that I want, or the church is like a hospital for sick people, or it's like a school for the people where you go to learn. Interesting, all of those things are a little bit true, but the reality is the sum of all of those things doesn't equal what the church of Jesus Christ really is. And so today, that's what we wanna dive into. Wanna do a flyover of what is this thing called the church in our series, Messy Church. So here's the first thing we want to do is give you a definition. What is it? Definition of the church, what is it? In the New Testament, it comes from the word ecclesia. Uh, it was a secular word. It's not a Christian word. It was a secular word. It meant a gathering or an assembly. And, and so when the church would meet together, it was an idea where they came together in an assembly. They gathered together. It happened in their culture all of the time. But when the church did it, and we call it now, we call it the church. The church is the people. It's not the building. This building is not the church. It's just a building. It's where the church meets. We are the church. If last night this place had burnt to the ground and today we met over in Milne Park and had church, Harvest Bible Chapel York Region would still meet because the church isn't the facility. And sometimes people get all caught up in the building, and I, and I get it, there are lots of people who sacrificed so that we could have this. But this building isn't the church. It's just a place where we come, but people say, where do you go to church? Harvest Bible Chapel. So where is your church? 8176 McAllen. So I get it, but on the other hand, we need to get it that this is just bricks and mortar where we are. The church is far more than a building. The church is the body. The church is us together. Uh, we are the church of Jesus Christ. There are lots of words that are used to describe the church in Scripture. I'm just going to go through them quick. You won't have time to write them down. You can look them up or listen to the message again later. The church in Scripture is called a household a place of family, love, and care. It's called the kingdom. It's a place of authority with privilege and obligation. It's a 
priesthood. The church is called the priesthood. It's a place of service. The church is called the temple where God's presence and support and dependency on him is. It's called the body where we support and depend on each other. The church is called Christians. They were first called Christians or Christ followers, Christ ones, Christ possessions. The church is called disciples or students of Jesus Christ. The church is called servants, uh, people with selfless obedience. The church is called a flock, a flock because we need protection and caring by the chief shepherd. The church is called an army. We are an army because we are in the middle of a battle, a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare for the souls of people. And the church is called a wife and a bride. It speaks of the intimate and spiritual relationship that there is. All of these terms describe what we are together as the church. The church where Christ is the head and the rest of us are the body. And that's what God's called us to. Well, that's what it is. Who does it belong to? In ownership, whose church is this? And the answer is given very clearly in Scripture. In Acts 20, 28, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church. Here it is, which he obtained with his own blood. The church was bought with a price. And the price was the blood, the life, the payment made by Jesus Christ. Therefore, this church isn't my church as the senior pastor. This church isn't the elders' church as a group of people. This church doesn't belong to the person who gives the most money. This church is Christ's church. He bought it. He paid for it. It's his. Not only does he own it, but he's the head of it. He's the head of it. It says in uh, Colossians 1 and 18, and he is the head of the church. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Christ, the head, the rest of us are the body. This church is not yours. This church is not mine this church belongs to Jesus Christ. And we must never forget that. We must never get that wrong. When your hand starts to close on things and you start to think this is your thing, it's not your thing. It's not my thing. This is Christ's church. He's the head of it. He's to have the first place. Well, well how about how we operate then? Like, how do you come off calling yourself an elder? Aren't you, aren't you like a leader in this church? Doesn't the church kind of belong to you? And No. Christ is the head of the church. And then in our church, in our structure, the way we design, which we believe comes right out of the Bible, and it does, uh, we have elders. Well, who are the elders? The elders are men who serve the Lord by leading the church under Jesus Christ. He is the head. And so I'm just one person at a table and we seek to lead. We seek to lead well. We seek to lead for God's glory. But we don't lead our own thing. We lead the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. A couple verses I want you to think about um, that, that help you when you understand about our role as leaders in the church. 
Hebrews 13 and verse 7 says this. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of Christ. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so a responsibility is put on the elders so that we live in such a way that our lives are so in tune with Christ, again, not perfectly, but that they're an example that can be followed. Now, that's a responsibility we have. Like, but, but aren't you guys in charge? Aren't you guys in charge? Well, Hebrews 13 verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders. Hey, that's kind of cool. I hope you're listening. <laughs> and submit to them. Hey, this is getting even better. I really hope you're listening. And then here's the part that shakes every elder, every leader, and every church to the core of our being. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. We're told to live in such a way that people would see in us an example of Jesus Christ and seek to be like that, needing forgiveness and restoration on a regular basis. But see, any elder that thinks he's on a power trip is an idiot because you're going to give an account. You're going to give an account for this. And so when we sit at the elder's table, when we make decisions that impact people's lives, it's a serious business. Why? Because we've been called to lead by serving in Christ's church. And we're just stewards of what he has given to us. And we're called to do it, and we're called to do it well, and we do it with confidence because God has placed us here. But the church doesn't operate and it doesn't function based on just the elders. As a matter of fact, if the things that the elders do in this church represented the things that got done, it's probably less than 1%. Most of what happens, happens because the body of Christ serves together and works together. And part of the role of the church is to prepare people to do the work of ministry. The church is made up of, of people serving under the elders in Christ's church. Ephesians 4, 4 to 7 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to you, to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And then here it is, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The goal of the church is to be building up and growing together so that we can serve. And we serve the body of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. The church is the gathering of people under the head, Jesus Christ. Well, who's in it? Talk about membership. I'm not talking about membership of our church, I'm not talking about a form you sign, but talking about membership of this thing that's called the church. It's not the building, remember, it's us. And so what is this thing called the church? And then who is in it? And there's really two parts to the answer to that. We have this, this uh, body that's called the universal church. Well, what's the universal church? The church is everyone who has ever put their trust in Jesus Christ. 
everyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation is in the universal church. The church up the street that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, the people in that church are part of the universal church, just like we are. We need to encourage them. We need to help them. We need to bless them. And lots of churches that are like, there are lots of churches that aren't preaching the word of God. Lots of churches that have gone sideways. Lots of churches are filled with people who've never been confronted with the gospel. But the churches that preach the gospel, the churches where people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, every one of them and every one of us who has done that is part of this thing called, we call the universal church. Some pictures of it in scripture around Paul's ministry. Um, in Philippians 3, 6, when he was talking about what he was like before he was saved, he says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Before he was saved, his job, his passion, his cry in his heart was to destroy the church. All of it. And not, not just the little church here or the little church there, but Christianity as a whole. That was his whole passion. He wanted to kill and destroy the universal church. In 1 Corinthians 10, 32, he said, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. And so those sayings are about people who are part of this thing that we call the universal church. But everyone who's in the universal church needs to be part of a local church. And that's the second part. That's groups that actually meet together. The universal church is not meeting together until we get to heaven. Now that's when we'll meet together. But we meet in local churches. And we see that all through the scriptures. The book that I read from Ephesians chapter 3 was written to the church in Ephesus. Then you have the church in Galatia, Galatians. You have the church in Philippi, Philippians. The church in Corinth, Corinthians. And all the rest of them. They were written to local churches where people actually got together like we get together in a local setting. 1 Corinthians 16.1, now concerning the collection for the saints... I directed the churches of Galatia, local churches. In 2 Corinthians 8.1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, local churches. In Romans 16.1, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a servant of church in Centrina, Centria, um, a local church. And that's what we are here. The body of Jesus Christ that meets together in a local church church. So let me just hasten to say, attendance does not equal being in the church. Attendance does not equal being in the church. If in the church means you come into the building, well, then, then you're in the church, but that's not what it means. The church was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. The church isn't the building. The church is the body. If we weren't doing it here, we could be doing it somewhere else. Well, so who's in? Well, just coming to church doesn't mean you're in. Lots of people, my parents went to church, I go to church, so therefore I'm in. No, no. Your faith is not based on your parents' faith. It's not based on your spouse's faith. It's not based on your friend's faith. Your, your faith is based on a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. And people who have put their trust in the one who paid for the church are people who are in the church. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The church is made up of saved people. And if you've never trusted Christ, you're not in the church. Yes, you're here and you're on a journey, 
And I trust one day you'll see what God has given to us in his son, Jesus Christ, and your blinded eyes will be open, your dead heart will be made, to alive, be made alive, and you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and then you will be in the church. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I turn from the path I was on, thinking I was going in my own way and it was gonna be okay, and I realize that's a fail, and I turn, and in repentance and faith, I follow Christ. Those people are the people who are in the church. So, people who attend church, and just attend, who don't know Christ, are not in the church. There's another group of people who are, might be even here today, who are not in the church. They're called wolves. They're called wolves in Scripture. Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous. They, they look good. They say the right kind of things. They do the right kind of things, but their goal is destruction of the church. I trust, I pray, that we have no wolves here today. But there could be. And wolves seek to tear down the word of God. Wolves seek to tear down the working of Jesus Christ, but they seek to do it by mingling in and looking like everyone else. And there are people who are tending the church, but they're not in the church because they're wolves. It says in Acts 20, 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. So who is in? Who's in the universal church and who is in the local church? Followers of Jesus Christ. Sinners saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, through his gracious and merciful work in our Savior Jesus Christ. But a group this size is made up of people who are in the church, who have all kinds of different needs. I, I made a little bit of a list. There are people sitting in the room today who are in the church, who are part of the church, who are part of this church, and you're hurting today. You're hurting maybe because of sin that you've committed, and, and you're hurting. Maybe you're here and you're under a set of circumstances that are just so difficult right now, and, but you're in. You're part of the church. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're sorrowing. Um, Sue's dad passed away one year ago this past week. Well, last week was a tough week. Not, not because she doesn't know where her dad is. She knows where her dad is. She wouldn't want him to come back, but she misses him. And the other people in the room, I talked with a man at the end of this last service whose wife passed away and he stood there with wept there's hope for her, but he's filled with sorrow. We, the Bible doesn't say we don't sorrow. We just sorrow. We don't sorrow like those who have no hope. And so this church is filled with real people, with real needs, with real circumstances, real hurt. Some people are sick. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're under the discipline of God because of disobedience. Maybe your walk has become stagnant. Or maybe you're growing and growing up in the Lord Jesus and you're in a great place and you're serving and rejoicing. See, that's the kind of people that are in the church. So who's in it? Followers of Jesus Christ. People who put their faith and trust in Christ alone are in the universal church and are in the local church where we meet together. Well, then the next question for me would be then, would, for me would be then what's the function of the church? Why are we here? 
What does this thing that's called the church do? So our purpose statement of our church is uh, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. And so the first thing is to glorify God. We want to do that by fulfilling the great commission, go and make disciples in, in, the, in, in light of the great commandment that we love each other the way we ought to. And so everything we seek to do kind of fits under that. And we'll see a bit more of that a little bit later in this message. And, but what does the church do? There's a couple of verses that I think really help us to kind of set the framework for some things here. One of the greatest verses in the Bible that talks about, I believe, what the church does is actually found in Acts 2, 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So there's a good list. There's a good list of things that the church does as it, as it functions. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Great verse, great verses. In, but in 2016, we tend to use these verses. It's not a misapplication, but we tend to use it. Now you need to go to church. Well, you just need to go to church. The Bible says you need to go to church. And we forget what the context was that these people were living in when, when those verses were, when they were told, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This was a church that was being persecuted, a church that was under all kinds of pressure. And some of you might live that and you're like, I, I don't know, I, I don't think I'm gonna go. It's just not worth the grief. I'm gonna come home. My mom and dad are gonna ridicule me all afternoon. Then you understand what these people are talking about. You understand what Hebrews 10 is about. But most of us, me as a kid, was like, you're going to church. Why? Because the Bible says, don't, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, if that's the motivation you need to go to church, then you get it done. But the reality is this was for people who were struggling because of the persecution they were under. And they were like, I just think we're going to stay home. I, I, just, I just don't think we're going to meet together anymore. And the writer said, you make sure you get to church. You make sure you get with the body of Jesus Christ. You need to be together. Well, why? There's really, I think, one reason. I'm going to give you six things, but I really think there's one primary thing, and then all the rest of them really come out of it. The reason that we meet together as the church is to glorify God and to worship. That's it. Everything else comes out of that. There's only really one reason that we would ever meet together, and that's to worship God, to glorify Him. That's why we meet it says in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are focused on one thing, his worth, and we are to be fully engaged in that. And so when you come together as the body of Christ, we come together to worship him, not just in our singing, but in our in the word, in all that we do, the goal is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ to exalt him. That's what the church is for. That's why we have this thing called the church. It's not about programs. It's not about friends. It's not about where are we going for lunch. It's about who is Jesus. Amen. We come together to worship. And that works its way out in a number of things. It works its out in some disciplines in our church. There are four of them that I've written down for today. There's probably more, but the first one is the discipline of the word. 
In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The word, the word is part of the discipline of our church. It needs to be part of the discipline of your life every day, but it's a focus of our church. It needs to be a focus in the preaching. It needs to be a focus in the worship. It needs to be a focus in everything we do. And if we ever take our eyes off of the discipline of the word of God and you confront the elders and they won't change, get out of here. We worship God and we do it through the discipline of being in his word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Speaking of Jesus Christ. We do it through the word. We do it through prayer. A discipline of prayer. Colossians 4, 2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. James 5, 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, one of the disciplines of every church needs to be about prayer. I love the fact that in my office before the service last night and before the service this morning, uh, we were in my office and we were praying for the church. There were a group of people that were meeting down in one of the boardrooms in last service praying for us today. We had a church-wide prayer and worship night. It was so neat to be able to get the guys on the screen from Haiti so that we could be praying for them and praying for the ministry coming this week in Harvest Kids and praying for one another because we're a church that believes in the power of prayer. It needs to be one of the disciplines of the church. The disciplines of the church are the disciplines of our lives. Another discipline of the church is in giving. Oh, are you going to talk about offerings now? Well, a little bit. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So in your mind, don't answer this out loud because I don't want to embarrass anyone, but in your mind, answer this question. um, How much stuff do you have? How much do you own? What is yours? And the correct answer to that is nothing. I don't own anything. You say, but I have a lease. I mean, I got a house. I bought it. No, you don't. But I have a car. No, you don't. It all belongs to the Lord. All of it. Every part of it. And as you hold on to it and won't release it to the Lord, that's the kind of blessing you're going to have in your life. God loves a cheerful giver. And he desires faithfulness. It has been our practice since we started at Harvest, even before that, but started here, that Sue and I, I know this is old school for some of you, but Sue and I still write a check every week, put it in an envelope, and put it in the plate. You're like, please, that is so 70s. I get it. But it's an act of worship for me. And you don't see it. Actually, I don't ever give it in the 11 o'clock offering, so you would never even know that. But we do it every week. Why? Because it's part of our worship. It's part of our, our surrender of what the Lord has given to us. We give. Another one of the disciplines in our church is around the area of the ordinances, and we have two in our church. 
two of the things that we kind of do outwardly. Some people would say the two rituals, the two activities that we do as part of the discipline of our worship. And the two ordinances are baptism and communion. We're gonna have a baptismal service next weekend. And if you've never been baptized, you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, my question for you is why not? Why not? In Acts it says, they that gladly received his word were baptized. Go into all the world in the Great Commission and make disciples baptizing them. Why is that so important? Well, there's an obedience piece to it. The Bible says to do it, and therefore every follower of Jesus Christ, after they get saved, should get in the tank. They need to get baptized. That's obedience. But an even more important thing is our identification. Baptism is how I identify with Jesus Christ. You say, aren't there other ways I can identify with Jesus Christ? Yes, there are. And the Bible talks about them, but he talks about this one as well, where I'm going to identify with Jesus Christ by being baptized, identifying with him, being buried with him in death, and raised again to eternal life. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us, and the Bible calls us to do it as an identification. So we have this thing that we call baptism. If you've never been baptized, you can be baptized next week if you're a follower of Christ. Let one of the people in a green shirt know, and they'll write your name down. They'll make sure that it gets to whoever it needs to get to, and you could obey God and identify with Christ in a way that he commanded us to do. You can do that next week. The other ordinance is uh, communion, the Lord's table. We're going to do that at the end of our service today. Jesus said, do this so you'll never forget me. And so we have this thing that we call communion. Those are the disciplines. Another function of the church is discipleship. It's training. It's teaching. In 2 Timothy 2.2, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. And training up people and teaching them the word of God and reproducing ourselves is part of what we're called to do is the church. Why? Because we want to worship the king of kings. Discipleship. Fellowship is the fourth one. Fellowship is uh, just really doing life together. It's part of the church. It's doing life together. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolation. When things get difficult, you don't lean out, you lean in. When you need help, you ask for help. It's so, so counterculture to everything that you've been taught. If you're like, you're stronger, you'll make it on your own, and all the rest of it, and yeah, blah, blah, blah. When you need help, reach in and ask for help. Because fellowship is doing life together in the church. And we do that on a day like this, but we do that when we get together in small groups, when we help each other, when we encourage each other, when we bless each other. It's not to be lived in isolation. Anybody who comes to you and says, no, 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 I have my relationship with Christ, it's a private thing. Well, your decision to follow Jesus Christ might be a private thing, but your life in Christ is not a private thing. All over scripture, we do it together. We need each other. We encourage each other. We spur each other on. We help each other. In Romans 1.12, it says that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, Paul said. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, he said this, be, therefore encourage one another with these words. Encourage each other. The fifth thing, the function of the church is to serve or service. This is the idea of actively, physically doing something. So thankful for the team that went to Haiti last week. They were serving. They were serving. 
If you think they were staying in a four-star resort, wait until you see. They gave up a lot. Why? Because they wanted to serve the church. There are 100 people are going to serve the church next week at Harvest Kids. And then in day camp, people serve in the church all the time in, in Awana and in uh, youth ministry, men's ministry, young adults, women's ministry, in small group leadership. Uh, people serve the church. And that's a wonderful thing. And if you're not serving in the church, you need to do that. You need to be part of the functioning of the church and serving but it doesn't just happen in these four walls. I love hearing stories of things people does just in people's lives in our church that no one knows about. It's not organized. It's just, I'm just serving the Lord. Two, three years ago, three years ago at least now, maybe four years ago, there was a, a young single mom in our church uh, had a son. And they were living in an apartment and it was either June or July. I don't remember what month. I just remember it was so stinking hot. And she had no air conditioning in her place. And we became aware of that. And we have central air in our house. But when we moved down here, we had a window air conditioner that was now sitting in our basement with dust collecting on it. And we have this air conditioner with dust collecting on it. We have this person in our church in an apartment where you can cook your lunch on the kitchen table. Why would I hold on to that? Now, you don't want me to install it, believe me. Okay, that'll be the end. Somebody's getting electrocuted for sure, okay? So we called another couple in our church that we knew had gifts to do these things. And together we went over and installed an air conditioner in her house, in her apartment. Because they didn't need to suffer. They didn't need to. We had this thing. Do you even think like that? How could we serve one another in the body of Christ outside of the things we do that are churchy things that we do? And then how do we serve even beyond that into our communities, beyond the body of Christ, where people have no hope and they have a need, and how do we help our neighbors? How do we reach out to them? The church is to serve. In James 1.27, it says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit, means to take care of the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world part of our job. Maybe the Lord's laying something on your heart today. Well, get at it to serve in the name of Jesus who we worship, who is the head of the church. The last function that I wrote down is evangelism. You could include all of missions in that. It's to be done corporately. I preach the gospel, I, I think, in every message I preach here. But we need to be doing that in our lives. We need to be preaching through the way we live. We need to be also preaching through what we say that people will understand who Jesus is, what he did, and why we need to follow Christ. One of the functions of the church is to go and make disciples, is to go and preach the gospel. In Mark 16, 15, and he said, it says, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's the function. So what's our commitment? What's our commitment here at Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region, not the building, the church? Our church commitment is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment. As a church, as the local church together, we seek to do that through our, full, our four pillars. 
through unapologetic preaching, proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. But that's not just my job when I'm standing here on Saturday night or Sunday morning. That's not Jason's job just on, on, on youth night, on Tuesday night, on Tuesday night in youth or in young adults. Or it's not what we do just when we have harvest kids. That it's to be our whole life. It's part of the whole church. The pillar of proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology is a, a pillar for the church. And we all need to be desiring to live that out. We all need to be desiring to know God's word and to be sharing it, proclaiming it, because it's God's word, unapologetic preaching, unashamed worship. I will worship Jesus Christ. Why? Because he bought me back. He paid the price. He shed his blood. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that. I won't be ashamed of it when we come together to worship. I won't be ashamed of it in my worship in my home, in my heart, with my friends. Unceasing prayer, the third pillar, believing firmly in the power of prayer. Crying out to God over and over and more and more and believing him and trusting him and as you pray, coming in line with what he has and unafraid witness, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. I gotta tell you, it's easy to do in this room. If you can't share the gospel of Jesus Christ in this room, you are one messed up pastor. You people are hungry for the gospel. But we all have a responsibility in our lives to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel. It's not just a church-wide thing, it's a me thing. We do that around here through three W's. That's how we do the four pillars, through three W's. Three actionable characteristics of a disciple of Christ. A person who worships Christ. We talk about that when we come together uh, for Saturday night or Sunday. We come together to worship. But our lives are an act of worship. Jesus Christ bought us back. He paid the price. He's on the throne. Our lives are to worship him. And then we walk with him. That's how we do our lives together. We do it in small groups in our church so that we can be accountable to one another. If you're not in a small group, you're missing out on a huge part of what God has for his church. It's where we can come together and we can spur each other on and we can love on each other when we're hurting. We can support each other. We can correct each other. We can bless one another. We walk with Christ and then we work for Christ and how we serve him. And everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ is called to serve. We do that together because we want to be all in. All in because Christ was all in for us. Yeah, so we have a thing we call membership at Harvest Bible Chapel York Region. After you go to step one and step two, uh, then you can fill out a form and you can become a member of this church. What, what does that mean? Okay, well, don't confuse it with the local church because you are now going to be a member. You're going to be a member at Harvest Bible Chapel. What does that say? It says, I'm all in. I'm all in. I want to be part of what's going on here. This is my church. I want to come under the leadership, under Jesus Christ, and I want to be all in with my time, with my treasures, with my talent. You mean, Paul, everybody who signed, they're like, they're totally 100%. That's what we're going for. That's what we're learning, that in everything we have, Jesus Christ is preeminent. In everything we have, he is first place. And we're in it together. And God has called us together to do that here as part of his church. I'm in with my time and my talents and my treasures. Well, so what? 
Thanks, Pastor, for like getting us all ruckused up today. So what? You know, we look forward to something. There's something coming. When, when Christ taught about communion, we're going to see it in just a minute. When Christ taught about communion, he said, I'm not going to do this again with you until we do it in heaven. Who's that for? It's for the church. It's for the church. There's a great day that's coming for the church. In Revelation 19, 6 to 8, it says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted uh, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints one day, one day in heaven with Christ at a feast. For who? For the church. That's who. It's all coming for us. God help us to live faithful lives in a messy church down here on this earth because of what's coming in the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ in what is to come. It's his church, his way for his glory. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Lots of verses for people to think about and hung on an outline that, Lord, I pray will challenge some and stir some up and convict some and Lord that might even bring some to a sense of correction in their lives and a call to serve but Lord it should also be a, a message of great encouragement because um, we had no hope at all and we were bought with a price because of the blood of Jesus Christ so Lord this building isn't the church although we meet here we thank you for it. We thank you for the gift of it. But the church is us. It's the body doing our life together under the headship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we never forget what you've accomplished so we can have life and we can have it abundantly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.